And uh, if you will, continue to pray for little baby uh, Nathaniel. Uh, I haven't heard anything since this morning. First, there was, uh, uh, there was a miracle that took place. And, and uh, here again, this is a baby that was born last Wednesday, a week ago, and um, has undergone a lot of uh, major medical and physical problems but continues on, and uh, we're thankful for that. Pray, pray for uh, John and Gladys, and uh, keep them certainly in your prayers, because it's been a hard time. You know, it's hard to see your, your child going through these things, especially at such a, such a young age, you know. He's only a week old. And uh, he had a little bit of a setback when they did some procedure or took him off of something, and so it kind of, you know, his heart rate went down a little bit, so... But the, but the Lord that created him and made him and give him, gave him life and, you know, is the same Lord that can heal him completely. And we want to believe in what the Lord can do. And we know that he can do it because he's done it many, many times. Okay. So we'll, we'll pray for him in, in the course of our study tonight. Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going to go ahead and finish chapter 3 tonight. And then next week, we're going to attempt to go ahead and do chapters 4 and 5, because those are smaller chapters, and they do go together, so we'll, we'll keep them together. But Ezekiel chapter 3, the, uh, the theme of the book of Ezekiel from the very beginning, I'm going to just give a kind of a review here. The theme is the glory of God. And we're going to see the importance of the glory of God tonight, especially in the life of the prophet Ezekiel. Chapter 1 focused upon the sight of God's glory. In other words, having been given a vision of God, and actually not just a vision, but visions of God, as we saw there in chapter 1. So it focused on this particular sight of God's glory. And then chapters 2 and 3 dealt with the strength of God's servant. And as we will be con concluding chapter 3. It deals with the strength of God's servant. And the strength of God's servant is the Lord himself. Now remember that the name Ezekiel means God strengthens or the strength of the Lord. So this is very appropriate for this evening's study. So first what we find in, in the, the prophet Ezekiel is that he truly saw the Lord, whether he saw the Lord in those visions, he saw the Lord. It was the way the Lord showed himself to the prophet. And what did this do to the prophet? Well, in, in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28, it says, As the appearance of the bow, and, I, and that kind of went ahead of, on me. Uh, let me see if I can get back to that first slide, because it's one long verse. But it's chapter 1, verse 28 that says, As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. And this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, notice from, from Ezekiel's own words, when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. So he saw the Lord first, and then secondly, God strengthened his heart. 
And I didn't focus, you know, we, we kind of looked at this generally last time, but, but I want to focus a little bit more in detail tonight in that God strengthened Ezekiel's heart against three things. He also strengthened it for, th- you know, for good things, but he strengthened God, uh, Ezekiel's heart against three things. First of all, he strengthened Ezekiel's heart against the rebellious children's words. In other words, the people that he would be giving this prophecy to, he strengthened his heart against their words. And you can see that in chapter 2, verse 6. We're not going to look at all of these verses. Uh, So you can look at chapter 2, verse 6 and see that it tells us that he strengthens his heart about the words that these people are going to be saying to him. And then he strengthened his heart against their intimidating, intimidating looks in how they were going to be looking at him because he was going to give them the word of God. You can see that again in chapter 2, verse 6, but also in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. So those passages actually are tied together. But then he strengthened his heart. God strengthened Ezekiel's heart against self-rebellion, against self-rebellion. And we didn't didn't emphasize that a lot, but if you look at verse 8 of chapter 2, Notice that it says, But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. In other words, uh, you're going to take and, and eat the word, but you know what? Don't be rebellious like them. And I believe that's a good warning for all of us. You know, that God has given us a calling, God has given us a ministry. And we need to focus our attention on what God has given us for that ministry. But we need to take care of our hearts. We need not to be uh, intimidated. We need not to be tempted. We need not to be pulled away from that which God gives us to do as his servants. So I felt that that was a very important issue to look at in, in the life of this prophet. But this leads us to the third thing that the Lord strengthens the prophet to do. And that is to swallow the message given. To swallow the message that God gives to him. The consequence of that, of course, we're told that he's given a scroll and then he's told to eat it. But the consequence of that is seen in chapter 3, verse 3. And I I want you to look at that verse for just a moment. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, which shows his obedience, then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Now we talked about the very fact that the prophets, as well as the apostle John, were, were given scrolls to eat. The prophets would, would take it, eat it, they would say it was sweet to their mouth, but it was bitter to their stomachs. It was bitter to their insides, as it were. And uh, we talked a little bit about that, that uh, the word of God is always sweet because it's God's word. And, and, his, and God's word is precious. Uh, the bitterness of it uh, in, the, in the bowels or in the, in the stomach, as it were, is because it's, it's a word of, of judgment. Because we realize the seriousness of the word of God that has to be given. But why sweetness? Why sweetness? Well, Psalm 19 verse 10 tells us that uh, the law of God... The word of God in, in general is more to be desired are they, the words of God and the law of God and the, and the statutes of the Lord, 
More desired are they to be than gold, yea, than much fine gold. In verse 11 it says, Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So we see the importance of the sweetness of the Word of God. It will always be sweet because it is God's Word. But then we're told something in, in Psalm 119, verse 103. Psalm 119, verse 103. And that it says there, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So the word of God being sweetness is seen throughout all, uh, pretty much, of the Old Testament. And uh, as it is attested in the, in the Psalms, well, that stretches out into all of, of God's word in, in the Hebrew Scriptures. But Ezekiel was then strengthened to say what God wanted him to say to the rebellious, stubborn children. That's verses 10 through 27, and we're not going to read all of those. But when we consider what that strength is, God gives Ezekiel strength to submit to God's word alone. To submit to God's word alone and not to his own opinion. That's verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3. And then came the sounds that reminded him of God's glory. So God, in, in essence, is strengthening him again with what he hears and what he knows and what he has seen in the vision of God's glory. That's verses 12 and 13. And then the prophet was then lifted up by the Spirit and carried away, and the hand of the Lord was, was strong upon him. So God strengthens him then with his own hand. In verse 14. And we left off last time looking at the seriousness of those words that God has caused Ezekiel to take in and eat so that that would become a part of him. And we're told in verse 15, and we'll begin reading here now for our text. In verse 15, it says, Then I came to them of the captivity at Tel Aviv. And again, that's not Tel Aviv in Israel, but that is a place in, in, uh, in Babylon where the, um, where the Jews were gathered. And it says, That dwelt by the river Kebar. And again, that lets us know and signifies that he's in the land of Babylon. And this was where, uh, close to where the, uh, where the Jews were taken in captivity. And, and notice that it says, And I sat where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. The astonishment is interesting, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later, and I talked a little bit about it last time, that as, as God is calling Ezekiel now to go to a rebellious house, to go to a rebellious children, He's just amazed at their rebelliousness, and, and uh, he's amazed at what God is going to do by what he has already seen as far as, as what God has revealed to him, what he's going to have to do to this, to this uh, rebellious house. And he, and he sits there for seven days, as it were. And then it says that it came to pass, and, and this is verse 16 now, and it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. And when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die. In his iniquity, but his blood will I require 
at thine hand. And yet, if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou has delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man does turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned. Also, thou hast delivered thy soul. Ezekiel now assumes the, the role of spiritual watchman for the children of Israel more specifically the children of Judah. But before he did, there was that time of the astonishment that I just mentioned a little earlier of Judah's spiritual condition. The astonishment of, of, of what he saw that God was going to have to judge, for which he sat seven days. But then came the announcement, so that there, was, there was that astonishment and now comes this announcement of warning from God himself. And that was verses 16 and 17. Ezekiel was to warn, which literally means to admonish. To admonish the people. And that, that, the word admonish is a strong warning. Uh, you know, we, we can compare words like the word uh, uh, exhortation in, uh, in the New Testament has the same uh, understanding if it's used in the old but nonetheless an exhortation is a is a uh, encouragement but it's also a warning but admonishment is primarily a warning and it's a strong warning when we see it in the church i mean it's a strong warning to the church and when i say in the new testament when we see it in the hebrew scriptures it is a very strong strong warning so Ezekiel was to warn or admonish the people as a watchman of impending danger, both physically and spiritually. Physically because they were going to be overrun by, by the Babylonians. Spiritually because of what put them in that position in the first place. Their disobedience to God, their rebellion against God. And it was a serious thing to be a watchman for the destiny of souls was at stake. You know, it's not an easy thing when God calls a person into a ministry of any kind, no matter what it may be. And, and, I, and I, I truly believe that all of us, no matter what God calls us to, should always take that calling seriously. Even it's a very simple kind of calling. Because you see, we, we don't serve people first, we serve God first. We're exhibiting our obedience to God by accepting the call that God puts on our hearts. And we know that if we're faithful in the little things, God will, will make us faithful in the greater things. So we, we, we just always need to have that particular understanding. 
about being called of the Lord. The watchman was to be alert to every situation. It was never to be afraid to sound the alarm. Let me, let me go back just a, a second, just put it this way as well. We, we can be called to, to, let's say, serve in the children's ministry, which I hope some of you will choose to do. I know that we're in need of, of, of people working for children's ministry on Sunday mornings especially. But, you know, even that simple calling, we say, well, we're just going to be around with kids, you know. But I can tell you this, and I don't say this as some kind of spooky thing, you know, but, you know, the enemy's always looking for a way to, to upset what we do for God. And, and we, you know, we might think it's a simple thing to be in the nursery, but it's not a simple thing when it comes to God. And it's always a target for, for, the, for the enemy. I mean, there's not a thing, you know, there's not a place we can hide, in other words, in this world. So to think that it's a lesser kind of ministry, no, it's a great ministry. It's a great ministry to minister to children. It's a great ministry to protect them for their parents while they're in here studying the Word of God. It isn't something to take lightly. So, so you understand then what we're saying. You know, a watchman <laughs> isn't just one who stands on the walls, you know, and blows the trumpet with all kinds of... You know, I mean, there, there's, we're going to find out that, that as parents, you're watchmen of your, of your family, of your children. You're watchmen of your home. You're, you're, you know, the, the things that God has given you, uh, you have, you have a, a, a very important role in, in, in taking care of these things. It's a ministry. So the watchman was to be alert to every situation, was never to be afraid to sound the alarm. The responsibility was on the shoulders of the watchman. And there are four scenarios in verses 17 through 21 that are described by the Lord to Ezekiel. Four scenarios. The first scenario, and I'll bring them up one at a time in just a moment. But the first scenario is when the prophet does not warn the wicked, what happens? Well, we'll see in a moment. When the prophet does not warn the wicked is the first scenario. The second scenario is when the prophet does warn the wicked, and what does happen? The the third scenario is when the prophet does not warn the righteous person. And then the fourth scenario is when the prophet does warn the righteous. So, the first scenario is when the prophet does not warn the wicked as God has commanded him to do. When the prophet does not warn the wicked. And that takes us back over to verse 18. Where God says to Ezekiel, when I say unto the wicked. And I want you to notice. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And thou givest him not warning. In other words, you, you're not, you, and you as a watchman do not go out there and tell them, listen, you're going to die. God says, you, gotta, you better do something because if you don't do something, if you don't repent of your sin or if you don't do these things, you're going to die. That's the warning. Very simple. Nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way by saying, listen, you better change your ways because God is going to take your life. I mean, you're going to die. This is a judgment that's coming. God has, given you, God has given you ample warning to change. God loves you. God wants you to have the best, you know, the best of what he wants to give you, but you're not obedient and you're, you're taking advantage and, and you're, you're acting as if he doesn't even exist. So thou shalt surely die and thou givest him not warning nor speakest to warn the wicked from his way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. It's a judgment. The same dies. 
The wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood, as God is speaking to Ezekiel, he says, his blood will I require at thine hand. Now, that, that's, that wake anybody up. If God says, you need to go warn this person or these people that they're going to die if they don't change their way. But if you don't tell them and if you don't warn them and if you don't blow the trumpet of warning, then I will require their blood at your hands. And as I mentioned last time, the prophet of God was responsible to speak forth the words of God. Whether they be good or bad, whether they be blessings or curses. And there were consequences for not acting. Now you would say, wow, that's, that's pretty harsh for these prophets. But there's something of great importance and significance that must be understood here. And, and this is going to apply later on, on, on the third scenario, mostly third and fourth. But I need to say it now. And that is that we are not to impose, so listen carefully, we are not to impose a New Testament interpretation on an Old Testament passage. We are not to impose a New Testament interpretation on an Old Testament passage. What we are dealing with here in all four scenarios is the children of Israel and Judah, and we will see more clarity in this uh, point when we look at the third scenario. But as for this first scenario, we need to go back all the way to Noah. We need to go all the way back to Noah and something that the Lord said to Noah. And that's in Genesis chapter 9 and verses 5 and 6. And this is what God said. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man... At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood. And notice the connection and the context. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Simply, and as simply as I can put it, life is precious to God. Life is precious to God. He would not have us assume that he holds life as something that is cheap and the taking of life as an insignificant matter. Where are we now as a nation? Before, a few years ago, it was 50 million babies aborted. I believe it's 70 million now. And we think that God doesn't take this seriously. The Lord would hold the watchman responsible for not warning people to turn from their wickedness and from letting them know that God's judgment was coming. In failing to do this and God's judgment comes and they're destroyed, then the Lord, in holding the watchman responsible, would withhold and withdraw blessings from his life. The reward for faithful service would not be given to them. That is, the watchman 
who had the words of God and would not say them. Some, some even believe that if the sinner dies, and we're de- again, we're dealing with, with Old Testament or Old Covenant understanding. But if the sinner dies and the watchman does not give the warning, the watchman will die. But the second scenario is when the prophet does warn the wicked. And we turn to the next verse, verse 19 of our text. Because God then says, yet if, if thou warn the wicked, if you warn him, if you do what you've been called to do, if thou warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness, in other words, you've given the warning, and he doesn't turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. And it's that phrase, of, again, that gives us a, a, a better understanding that if, if one is, 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 is taken because it is, uh, it, it is the, the judgment upon the one who has committed the wickedness, but the, but the watchman gives forth the word to warn, then his soul has been delivered. So simply, the Lord does not hold the prophet accountable for the consequences that the wicked would face. Now, consequences and chastening come to those who fail to listen to the word of God. Let's face that. That's Old and New Testament. You can't, you, can't, uh, you, you, know, you can't put a dividing line on that. The Lord does not hold the prophet accountable for the consequences that the wicked would face. And, and, and consequences come to those who do fail. They come to those who fail to listen to the Word of God, to the Word of God, whether they listen to it or not, but usually whether they believe it and reject it or not. The consequence noted in these verses is death. Thou shalt surely die. He shall die in his iniquity. And as we quoted last time, Paul understood the seriousness of this even in his New covenant understanding. Even in his new covenant ministry. Because what he said in Acts chapter 20 verses 26 and 27 is this. And again, I, re- I take this from, you know, we, we saw this last week. Wherefore, he said, I take to you, uh, I take you to record this. I take you to record this day, I should say, that I am pure from the blood of all men. I am pure from the blood of all men. Why can he say that? Because he goes on in verse 37 to say, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He knew that he was a watchman. And he was a watchman to the churches. And he ministered to the men of those churches in their leadership roles to be watchmen as well. In fact, as you read on in Acts chapter 20, he warns them of wolves that would come and, and, and ravage the, the sheep from outside and even from within. So he was warning them to be warning, uh, you know, to be aware of what's going to happen so that they could begin to sound the alarm as well. Now, if that was nearly 2,000 years ago, 
Do you think that we, we've overcome that now? No. As a matter of fact, we're worse off, I think, than Paul was then. As far as the, the, the church of Jesus Christ is concerned. We have more churches today that do not look at the Word of God as being God's true and infallible Word. And I don't know what they're looking at, but they're, they're reading more of what men are saying than what God has always said. And what the Bible says to be God's Word, true, and never changes. It is reliable. It is infallible. It is accurate. It is inerrant. It is all of those things and more. And no blessing will be withheld from the faithful and obedient watchman who hears the word of God and gives that word to the people. God's method has always been to, to use those who are in touch with him to reach those out of touch with him. Think about that for just a moment. God has, uh, God's method has always been to use those who are in touch with him to reach those out of touch with him. And, and, and I say that if, as you've been obedient to the Lord, how many times has God used you to encourage a heart, to, to warn someone, you know, to get right with God, to come back to God, to return to the Lord, to return to a good walk in, in Christ. But remember this, Ezekiel wasn't called to convert the people. Please understand that because the first thing we think about, you know, is that, you know, we've got to go out, we've got to convert people. Well, we don't do the converting, folks. The Bible has been very clear about that. Ezekiel's responsibility was not to convert people. His responsibility was to warn them. We don't win souls. The Spirit does that. This is the Lord who adds to the church daily those who are being saved. Our responsibility is to give witness and warning. Witness and warning. Once done, those receiving or not are responsible before God for what they do with that witness and with that warning. You do what God calls you to do. You give warning and you give witness. And you give testimony. Now we come to the third scenario, which is where we, we need to understand what we were saying earlier about the you know, the, the not interpreting the old with, with, a, with a New Testament interpretation. But when the prophet does not warn the righteous person, this is the third scenario in verse 20. Okay, the letters are big enough. There's a bunch of, bunch of letters in, the, in, this ver, in this verse. Again, when a righteous man does turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Now this is where much of the difficulty lies. Because first of all, we have to ask the question, who is the righteous man? Who is the righteous here? Is it a believer? Is, is it a believer who is born again of the Spirit of God? Uh, don't answer that question quite yet. Because you need to remember a few things here. A person cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again. 
A person cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again. A person who is born again, but sins, can be forgiven. Amen? Yes? He can be forgiven. Has been forgiven by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Can be forgiven. Has been forgiven. And will enter into the kingdom of God because of the blood of Christ. Doesn't Paul tell uh, Titus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. So, the, so that's, that's what we understand about the New Testament or the new covenant as it were. The new covenant in Christ. We know what it says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you go back two verses in that same chapter, go back two verses, it says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's why I first said... A person who's a believer and sins can be forgiven and has been forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and the shedding of his blood. And I didn't give you that verse up there, did I? But here it is. I got excited. There's verse 7. But you should have it already. By the way, this is not up here so that you don't bring your own Bibles, okay? I'm going to be honestly with you. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Okay, but the next verse, and you all should know it. For God so loved the world. What is it? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. Now remember, believe in faith, trust, and dependency completely upon God and upon Christ and what Christ has done for us. Whosoever believeth in him should, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the establishment of the, uh, of the understanding I'm trying to give you right here is a, a person who is born again of the Spirit of God will not face what we see here in this previous verse, this, this verse uh, uh, 20, right? So in both cases, when Ezekiel is to go to the wicked and even to the righteous man, in both cases, with the wicked and the righteous, this is dealing with the children of Israel and with Judah. And in particular, Judah. Because Ezekiel was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. But if a person was a wicked child of Israel, now, now, now get this, if a person was a wicked child of Israel, okay, so, you, so I mean, we've really designated this person. If a person is a wicked child of Israel, they would be one who cared nothing about God. Or the sacrificial system. They wouldn't care less about you know, blood spilled here and spilled there and, and offered here and offered there and, and lambs here and, and bulls and goats there. They wouldn't care about it. They could go through the motions, but they're more concerned about worshiping idols and doing what they want to do in the, on their own and in their own place. And therefore, if they are wicked because of that, they are headed for hell. Bottom line. And the Lord urged the prophet to warn them as to what would happen. But what about the so-called righteous person? 
who did pretty much what the law commanded them to do. Does that mean they are born again? No, not necessarily. They were under a totally different covenant back then. That's why I said we can't, inter- you know, we can't use a, a New Testament interpretation on this particular passage. Very important for us to understand that. Consider that the righteousness which, which existed in the Old Testament was the righteousness of obedience to the law. And let's face it, when you go read the book of Romans, I mean, and the book of Galatians, in those two particular uh, books by Paul, I mean, he, he lays out the very problem that we see happening here where if we try to interpret one by, by the other, it's not going to work. So the righteousness which existed in the, uh, in the Old Testament law was the righteousness of the obedience to the law, whereas the righteousness that we have in the New Testament is the righteousness that is imputed to us by faith in Jesus Christ. It is a righteousness that is imputed, placed upon us by faith in Jesus Christ. So we're dealing with, with a different righteousness. It is a different righteousness. Therefore, the righteous person in this passage sins and continues to sin, refusing to repent simply because his righteousness has only been outward and not inward. It is not the righteousness of true belief and faith in God. Here's where there is a tremendous similarity, though. There is a tremendous similarity between the Old and the New Covenant. Why? Because of Abraham. Because of Abraham, it says in Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. Wow, that sounds like New Testament to me. Here it is. Why? Because of faith. Because of faith. And one other place in the book of Romans is what Paul says in bringing an understanding of salvation by grace through faith and righteousness through faith. And that is here in Romans 4.3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Because God loves this righteous man in Ezekiel chapter 3. Because God loves this righteous man, he puts a stumbling block. Did we not read of a stumbling block here? In verse 20, when a righteous man does turn from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Now you might not believe this, but listen carefully. God loves this person And because he does, he puts a stumbling block in their path. A stumbling block? Yes. A trial. How many trials has God put in front of us to get our attention? How many roadblocks or stumbling blocks or trials has God put in our way because we were I mean, we were on our way doing our own thing and we were trying to figure everything out and God finally says, you got to stop. 
And he throws a trial in front of us. And we could do one of two things. Try to go around it, up over it, and through it on our own. Or we could stop and get back to God. Because we're supposed to know him. Well, in the same, in, in the same respect, he puts a stumbling block in front of a righteous man who's been going through the law and doing all the things. And then one day he just decides, you know, I'm really sick and tired of this. I think I'm just going to go and do what I want to do. And God puts a stumbling block. God puts a trial in their path at some point, wanting to arouse them to see their need for believing Him and His Word. And if the stumbling block does not shake them enough to truly believe and obey God, they're going to die. That is what God is saying to Ezekiel. And once again, God will hold the watchman responsible for not warning them. But the fourth scenario, when the prophet does warn the righteous, we're told in Ezekiel 3, verse 21, Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, and really what it says there, literally it says, now, nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous, righteous, the righteous person, whoever that righteous person is, if thou warn the righteous man that righteous sin uh, that the righteous sin not. In other words, if, if he heeds the warning and the righteous sin sinneth not and he does not sin. You warn him not to sin and he does not sin. Well, obviously he shall surely live. You see that? He shall surely live because he's warned. Also, thou has delivered thy soul. You've warned him. And you will be blessed for being obedient and being a faithful watchman. The truly righteous believe God. The truly righteous believe God so they listen to God's word and they do exactly what he says. They seek to live righteously as they walk day by day by day. Are we righteous? In and of ourselves, we're not. But if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we are righteous because we are covered, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is not something to be proud of. That is something to be grateful for. That is something that humbles us. We're not proud of that because, as I've said many times, the only thing that we have to be proud of in our salvation is, is that we come to the Lord as pure sinners. And, and that doesn't make us proud. It, it humbles us. But when they do sin, when a, when a true believer sins, they repent. And they seek the Lord's forgiveness and, and begin to walk righteously once again. And because they believe and obey God by keeping His holy word and His commandments, they, they will live an abundant life both now and Eternally. How many times does Jesus say, if you believe, I'll give you eternal life, everlasting life is yours. As for faithful prophets, they will be saved and delivered from the coming judgment. And so it's always a blessing to really try to understand the Lord in these things and not to take them lightly. And again, if you go back to Noah, 
what was God saying from the very beginning? Don't take life lightly because I don't. When I have to judge by taking life, it is because I've given life and you've abused that privilege. You've abused the blessing. And I have to judge. And God is just. You know, God will never judge somebody unjustly. That is why we can all say, listen, the only thing that we deserve is judgment. But thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for sending His only begotten Son. So as we move on, and we want to finish uh, this chapter tonight, but let's look at the importance of seeing the glory of God. Now, now we've already seen how Ezekiel has, has, has been given these visions of God and the glory of God. But, but there is an importance of seeing the, the glory of the Lord. And if you will, look at uh, verses 22 through 27. And we're going to read the whole passage here. And the hand of the Lord was there upon me. So after being called to be a watchman and being told these four scenarios that could happen, he says, the hand of the Lord was there upon me, and he said unto me, Arise, go forth into the plain, and I will uh, there talk with thee. And then I rose. And the plain would be that place where, you know, by the river Kabar, where he would be, where he have see, has seen the vision and where God meets with him. But he says, then I arose and went forth into the plain, and behold, notice, behold, the glory of the Lord stood there. Stop and think about that. The glory of the Lord stood there. Do you know who the glory of the Lord is? Who could stand there, present, and accounted for? It can be no one else but Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. This being a, 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 a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. The glory of the Lord stood there. Is Jesus not the glory of his Father? And, and, and it says that, that uh, the glory of the Lord stood there as the glory which I saw by the river Kabar. So he's, he's already seen him before. And we mentioned that at, at the, the presence of, of, uh, of the glory of God there. And, and he says, I fell on my face a second time. I fell on my face. And then the Spirit entered into me. And set, my, set me upon my feet. And spake with me. And I, I, I think how, how, how beautiful this picture is. The Spirit entered into me. The Spirit not only came upon Ezekiel, the Spirit of the Lord filled Ezekiel. The Spirit of God. The Ruach of God. Entered into him and set, up, set, my, set me upon my feet, lifted him up, and spake with me and said unto me, Go, shut thyself within thine house. <laughs> You're going to say, This is weird. Because he says to him, But thou, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon thee and shall bind thee with them, and thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth 
<clears throat> that thou shalt be dumb and, and shall not be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house. Now, I could, I could just see Ezekiel, you know, just for a second, just, just for a second, just say, What? I mean, you, you told me to eat this scroll, which I did, and it's sweet to my mouth. And, I, and you told me what I was going to do because of that and what I was going to say, and I'm going to be a watchman, and I got a warrant. And then you say, but, and I'm going to, and, and so, and, and, but, but now, Lord, you're going to shut me up? Yes. That's what he's saying to him. But notice verse 27, because this is the key. But when I speak with thee, when I speak with thee, when I speak to you, I will open thy mouth. And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, He that heareth, let him hear. And he that forbeareth, let him forbear. In other words, he that hears, let him hear. He that refuses, let him refuse. Let him forsake. For they are rebellious house we'll leave that verse up there for just a moment I want to come back to Ezekiel falling on his face at the glory in the presence of the glory of the Lord because I'm really concerned about worship in the church today Worship in the church today. Because I have one major question to ask. Do we really understand true biblical worship? Do we really understand it? And I say that about the, the church in general. What is considered to be the evangelical church today, which, boy, that name has been uh, trampled upon not only by the outside, but even inside. But the Hebrew word shaka, if you want to write it down, it's S-H, uh, the transliteration is S-H-A-C-H-A-H, shaka. It means to bow down your face. It means to fall down on your face. There's another word for what, what is used about Ezekiel falling on his face. But the main word is shaka. It means to worship. It means to bow down. It means to reverence and to humble the self, to humble self, to stoop or to crouch. To worship the Lord is to understand how great and awesome and transcendent He is. How great God is. Every, every church sings about God being great. Our God is greater, you know. Think about the great and mighty God. But our God is also awesome. Which means he's worthy of our reverence. He's worthy of our respect because we're not on the same plane with him. No one is, not even, I mean, certainly the enemy's not, who thinks he is, but he's not. Transcendent, 
Our God is transcendent. It means that he is above all of his creation. Above all of what he's created. And so to understand, or to worship the Lord, is to understand how great and awesome and transcendent he is and how awful and how sinful I am and we are. And we don't deserve anything but judgment. But thank the Lord for his grace. Thank the Lord for his mercy by which he washed us and cleansed us because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Does that not humble us to want to worship the Lord in the right way? I, I'm, I'm appalled sometimes when I, I look and I don't know, the Lord has taken me through some, some time watching some worship services and some churches today where it seems like the whole focus is on, on man and, you know, how they feel, you know, the, you know, touchy-feely kind of thing, you know, and ooh, you know. And I was telling Pastor Sean today, you know, that there, there's, there's, some of these guys are singing songs that are, you know, it's, it's like they're almost like NC-17, you know, using, using real weird uh, phrasings, you know, that they might as well have written everything right out of Song of Solomon or whatever, you know, so that kind of thing. Oh, my, you know, our experience with Jesus. Oh, man, but don't forget who Jesus is, folks. We're losing sight of that. I understand that we are the bride of Christ as a church, but let's be, let's be wise in our worship. I've seen in some churches today, they, do, they have these young kids doing some kind of weird, I forgot, the, I wish I'd written the name down, some kind of dumb, stupid dance in these churches. They're, they're just all bouncing around and hitting each other with these plastic things. You know, they're not hurting each other, but they're just, this is in the church. I'm, and I said, I'm, I'm sadly, I'm, I'm just saddened by, by what I see. Where, where did this come from? What is the purpose of it? God's not being honored and glorified by these things. The glory of the Lord stood there. And I fell on my face. Our, our desire always when we, when we worship the Lord is, to, is just to, is to say, Lord, just come and be with us. But we need to know what the consequence of that is if we truly know who he is. Our hearts are bowed and our voices are lifted. Our hands are raised in surrender and submission to his his goodness and His mercy. Nothing wrong with that. We have to be wise. And as I said, this could be no one else except the Lord Jesus Himself. The glory of the Lord stood there. Ezekiel needed the enablement of the Lord to serve the Lord and to understand His people's destitute condition. Not excluding Himself. And how we need God's help for this as well. Hence the hand of the Lord was there upon him. God's power. The hand of the Lord was there upon him. And that's why I have Acts 1.8 up here. But you shall receive power, Jesus said. To his church. Awaiting the promise of the Father. Which was the 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to have the courage and the boldness to say what God wants us to say to a totally rebellious culture, whether in the church or outside the church, what do we need? We need the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord is representative of the power of God. And if it is the right hand of the Lord, it is Jesus himself. Time and time again, the reference to the right hand of the Lord is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And we also need to see the glory of the Lord. We can't see it with our physical eyes but we need to see the glory of the Lord. Remember this. If God be for us, who can be against us? But I don't say that in, 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 in a kind of a um, arrogant way. It's not, it's not to be said arrogantly. If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, if, if God is for us, that's great, but you know we need to be for God too. More importantly, we need to be for God. But if God truly be for us, then who can be against us? Folks, you and the Lord make a majority in any community. If it's just you alone, you and the Lord make a majority. That's just the way it is. So now, verses 24 through 27, we're going to wrap this up here. Verses 24 through 27 focus on an apparent contrast to what the Lord has called Ezekiel to do. As I said, Ezekiel's sitting there thinking, okay, now you've, you've, you've called me, you've told me that I'm going to go and you're going to give me strength so I, you know, I, don't, I don't get upset by their words or I don't, I don't get intimidated by their, their looks and, and all of that. So, so here's this, you know, he's told to shut up. <laughs> In effect, he's told to shut up and, and he will be bound and he will not speak until the Lord speaks to him. The, the timing of when we speak is controlled by the Lord who is, who is in control of all things. And this is the understanding, this is what we need to understand from this passage, is that God, when God says speak, you speak. The timing of when we speak is controlled by the Lord who is in control of all things. Sometimes we are to say nothing and sometimes we speak. Would you not say that that is really the way it is almost every day? There are times when we want to speak and we're just about to say something and God just closes our mouths. wasn't time. And other times when we don't want to speak, what does God say? <laughs> speak. Now's the time. We don't oftentimes know when that is. So there are those who are really aggressive and want to go speak all the time, and God says, nope, not the, now's not the time. And others who are a little bit more passive, and they say, uh, 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 God says, speak now. Really? Okay. In both cases, we need to be obedient, because God's in control of the, time, and, uh, of the timing of it all. But when we speak, we speak God's word. When we speak, we must speak God's word. And as we close, I want you to consider the words of Jesus. I want you to consider the words of Jesus to his disciples after he rose from the dead. 
He said to them, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now what's the first thought in your mind when you read that? Well, he's sending us out to evangelize and he's sending us out you know, to reach people and become missionaries and to go, uh, go to Jalapa this summer in July, which you should if God's calling you. But that's not the full extent of what God means here. As my Father has sent me, so, even so, send I you. How did God send his son? Preached the gospel of the kingdom. He healed the sick, he raised the dead. These were all because he had the power to do so. But Jesus was not only a shepherd, he was a watchman. The most faithful watchman of all. And as the Lord, his Father, sent him, so I send you too. To speak the words of life. And I will lead you. I'll fill you with my spirit. What did he do to Ezekiel? He filled him with his spirit. I will fill you with my spirit. And I will send you wherever you go. Not all of us are missionaries out in you know, the deepest, darkest jungles of South America or wherever. We live in a jungle here. We live in a jungle full of wild things and wild people and wild ideas and wild philosophies, wild political views. Speak my words. And I send you. And when I speak to you, you speak. The challenge is to be discerning. The challenge is to listen. As I said, this isn't so much about where we go, but about what we are to say and when we are to say it. Let us be discerning of these things as we serve the Lord and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, it is a joy. It is a joy to, to serve you. But it's also a challenge. And because we are still in flesh, Lord, we, we at times are very apprehensive, or at least we can be apprehensive. At times we are concerned and sometimes we worry. Sometimes we uh, try to hide, but we can't. I just, I just know, Lord, that what your word teaches us as it has gone forth tonight is to encourage our hearts, but to warn us as well. To warn us that we live in a in a very perilous and dangerous time.
where things are so wrong in the world and a lot of that wrong has entered into the church. And so, Father, you've called us to be watchmen here. Most importantly, you've called us to be faithful to your word, which is what we want to be, what we want to do. So help us, God, to go forth with your word. To proclaim, to heal, to comfort, to encourage, to warn. And may we be faithful, Lord, not in our flesh, but by your spirit. May we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.